I'm Jen Taylor Skinner, and this is The Electorate. On this episode, I have a conversation with Andrea Mercado, the executive director of Florida Rising, an independent organization working to increase the voting and political power of Florida's Black and Brown communities. Andrea joins me to discuss politics in Florida, of course, and we do a brief postmortem of the state for the 2020 election cycle, including how Democrats came up short, and what they need to do to win seats during the upcoming midterms and during the 2024 election cycle. So here is my conversation with Andrea Mercado. Andrea Mercado, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. So let's talk about 2020 in Florida. At some point during the 2020 election cycle, Florida was expected to be in play for Democrats. And I remember thinking that and thinking like, that would be great. <laughs> However, I'm not so certain. I know you'd written an op-ed saying that we could actually win Florida. And I don't know if we have all of the data out of Florida yet, but, but what exactly happened there specifically, you know, around the Latino vote, which they people thought would bring that home for Biden? Well, I mean, I think what we've seen is in Florida, time and time again, elections come down to half a percent, um, less than 1% of the electorate. You know, we're one of the largest states in the country, 23 million people. Um, and in 2018, you know, Andrew Gillum was poised to be the first black governor in the South. And the margin of victory was less than 30,000 votes. Um, Senator Bill Nelson lost his race with 12,000 votes. So it's always painfully close in Florida. And so we were preparing for an epic battle in 2020. Um, but I think because of the size of the state, oftentimes it means that um, Democratic donors get nervous. You know, it decide to in, invest resources in other states um, with, you know, that doesn't have such a large population. Um, Florida is notoriously complex, um, 14 media markets, 67 counties. I have family from Miami to Jacksonville, and those are very, you know, very different places culturally, demographically. And I think what we saw in 2020 is the Democrats kind of be gun shy around couldn't really make a decision whether or not they were going to invest and really fight to win in Florida. And as a result, you know, you, you saw the Biden campaign, you know, not really putting resources into the state until it was um, unfortunately too late. You know, the, the Trump campaign, the Republican Party was always clear. If they didn't win Florida, they had no path to the White House. Um, and so Trump was outspending Biden two to one on Spanish language radio in June, in July, you know. Um, and unfortunately, that didn't flip um, until October when we saw Biden outspending Trump three to one in Spanish language radio. Um, and it was too late. You know, by then, many people had already cast their votes. They voted by mail. They voted early. Um, and, you know, the Trump administration, they never stopped campaigning in Florida after after their 2016 victory. They set up permanent infrastructure. They were down here in South Florida all the time. Um, I think South Florida is known to be kind of the heart of Hispanic conservatism. Um, and I think it's, it really is unlike any other part of the country where if you listen to the radio in Spanish in South Florida, it's, it's right wing ideology. It's very conservative. It's racist. It's misogynist. And, you know, I mean, I think uh, on the progressive side, I think time and time again, we keep seeing resources just come in 
um, a few months before an election. And then they, you know, they build these sandcastles that wash away the week after an election. And that's really why um, it's why New Florida Majority was founded. Um, it's why Florida Rising was founded. Florida Rising is actually the, the union of New Florida Majority and Organized Florida, two organizations that believe in year-round, long-term organizing to fight for the futures of our communities and the future of our state. Um, and uh, in January 2021, we actually decided to create one statewide organization, Florida Rising, that's building independent political power that really centers black and brown communities in the state. Yeah, you know, Florida is a really tricky state, right? And a lot of people like to make the comparison to Georgia because I think there's an organization. Oh, well, I know there's an organization called um, New Georgia Majority, or is it Georgia Rising? New Georgia Project. New Georgia Project. Of course, how could I? How could I not remember that? That's one of my favorite orgs. But they're similar in some ways, and they're not similar in a lot of other ways, right? I mean, it's tricky because people, for one reason, is that people were under the impression, or at least I was under the impression, that you had to win Florida to win the election. To win the entire election, right? And so, you know, when I saw the, the you know the spending towards the end of the election with on the Democratic side, I was a little worried. I was like, well, you know, we're this close. Could we, you know, put a little more dollars into Florida? But that wasn't the case. Like Trump won Florida, and he didn't win the election. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, I'm not a campaign manager. I'm not really sure how these decisions are made. But it's a hard thing, I would imagine, to decide like, okay, where do we put our resources to make sure that they have, you know, the maximum output, you know, the maximum return on investment you know, without leaving the constituents behind those Latino voters in, in Florida who need to hear your message, you know, how do you, how do you balance those two? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, it seems like the Biden campaign strategically decided that they were going to carve a different path, that they were going to go through Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, um, And, you know, and then we picked up these incredible victories in in Arizona and Georgia. But, you know, as a result of some of those strategic choices, it meant that, you know, Florida didn't get the level of investment and attention that would be required for it to, you know, truly be um, a battleground and for us to fight to win. And I think while we all celebrate that there's been a a, a really critical change in Washington, D.C. Um, you know, it really came with some hard losses here in Florida. We lost some of our champions. We lost Debbie Mercasel Powell. Uh, we lost uh, Senator Jose Javier Rodriguez. So, um, you know, we had some painful losses as a result. And I think it does really cause a lot of soul searching for the Democratic Party in Florida. What does it mean when minimum wage, a $15 minimum wage passed with 60% of voters in Florida, over 60% of Floridians said, yes, we believe that Floridians deserve a $15 minimum wage, but then voted for Republicans, you know, went on and, and voted for elected officials that are fundamentally opposed to raising the minimum wage. So I think there's a lot of questions within the Democratic Party around why is there such a disconnect between progressive policies and people actually voting for um, Democrats. And, you know, I think it's one of the things that's really hard here in Florida is you see Democrats consistently trying to run to the middle. Um, They they think that they have to be the most moderate in order to win. Many uh, people who ran, um, who distanced themselves from a $15 minimum wage, which is kind of mind boggling (laughs) um, considering how popular it is and how popular progressive issues are. 
Um, and, you know, and, and I do think that that's why I pointed to Andrew Gillum's gubernatorial run, because he really proved that in a state like Florida, you could be a bold, progressive and forge the kind of coalition that can get across the finish line because he came closer than any other um, Democratic challenger for that seat um, in, you know, more than a decade. So I think that there's some real important lessons to be learned. And, and definitely, you know, the Republican Party, they used a lot of fear mongering around socialism and a lot of a lot of Latinos had lost their jobs in the service industry um, and the Republican Party pledging to reopen. And, you know, when people were really hurting, I, I you know, it, it wasn't just here in South Florida that we saw voters, you know, Biden underperforming Clinton. We actually saw Latinos, more Latinos voting for Trump um, in places like the Bronx and in places like Los Angeles. Um, and even if Latinos had gone for Biden in Miami-Dade, um, Trump still would have taken Florida. So I think that for those of us that are committed to turning Florida blue, to breaking the right wing stranglehold in Tallahassee, to stopping attacks on voting rights and all of the other things that the Republican Party does when they're in power, we know that we have uh, a lot of work ahead of us. And, and that work for 2022 begins now. We can't wait till the, the summer or fall of 2022 to defeat Marco Rubio or to defeat Governor DeSantis. We have to have those conversations early and often. We have to be talking to people now about what's at stake and why it matters. Yeah. And I, I don't envy you. That's that's a really hard job. I mean, just, you know, going back to what you just said about, you know, the progressive messaging and how some voters were kind of moving to the center. And, but then they also supported these progressive policies. Like that is the complicated part about Florida. Because if I remember correctly, during the primary, Biden won Florida. I think by a lot, like by 60, it was like 62 or 65 percent or something like that. And he was not considered, <laughs> I laugh right. when I say this, because he wasn't considered the progressive candidate, right? right. Um, you know, the, the voters of Florida support, you know, this progressive policy, just using, you know, the $15 minimum wage as an example, they support policies like that. Yet, then again, you know, Florida, I think Trump outperformed himself in 2020. He did better than he did in 2016. So I don't really know how you untangle that whole, that's not a question <laughs> That's just a statement. No, and it's it's it is a complex place, um, and you know I think that's why the depth of the Trump's relationships, um, the fact that he was here in South Florida so often. I mean, he made Florida his home. Um, he officially changed his residence, and so did his campaign manager. You know, they really invested. Um, a lot of not just resources, but their time into building support that they need and really motivated their base. And we didn't really see that on the on the progressive side. And I think, you know, there's a real opportunity in 2022 where we have a, a U.S. Senate race. Um, we're seeing some people stepping up to challenge um, Marco Rubio. Um, and, you know, Governor DeSantis is also the one of the worst performing governors in the nation when it comes to COVID. You know, we have the, the worst unemployment system in the country. It's an unemployment system that was designed to fail. Um, the disparities between the number of white Floridians who have gotten the vaccine um, and the number of black and Latino seniors that have gotten the vaccine is, is very alarming. Um, and DeSantis is out here giving the vaccine to his rich donors. So, you know, it, it, I think it'll be really interesting to see how that battle for 2022 shapes up because Trump won't be on the ballot and, you know, DeSantis and, and Rubio won't be able to 
motivate the the Trump base. And so I think that, you know, there will be some really unique opportunities for us to finally, you know, break the right wing trifecta in Tallahassee. Um, and I, I think that there, you know, when you look at DeSantis's popularity ratings, um, I think, you know, he might see some troubling writing on the wall, but at the same time, he's the darling of the Republican Party and is setting himself up for a presidential run. So I think uh, it's uh, never a dull moment here in Florida politics. Yeah, well, I'm going to parse that a little bit because, you know, I think a lot of people are saying, well, Trump isn't on the ballot, right? But Trumpism, I think, is forever on the ballot, right? Like, (laughs) because our politics weren't like this, you know, four years ago, well, they were four years ago, but eight years ago, you know, 12 years ago. So I think that for a while now, I think Democrats have to think of these races as, you know, especially where Trump won in 2020 and saying, well, you know, Trump isn't on the ballot, but Trumpism definitely is like he, he's made a lasting impression. I think just, you know, this is just my opinion in places like Florida, because when you think about it, Bush v. Gore, you know, <laughs> that that election that hinged on Florida, you know, um, I think Gore lost that state by point zero 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 nine percent or something like it was, you know, it was really, really razor thin. And over time, it's just become redder. So so I don't know, I think we do to some extent have to battle Trumpism for a while, right? I guess my next question is, what messaging does work for Floridians? Well, I think people need to know that um, what the Democratic Party stands for. And that's why it's of critical importance that we do see um, some real policy change that affects people's lives. That's why, you know, we're really disappointed to see um, $15 minimum wage not making it into the relief package. But, you know, the the stimulus checks and the support for working families is going to be critical because at the end of the day, I think what we hear here time and time again um, on the doors and in the neighborhoods when we're organizing is what's going to be different? Like what's really going to change? It's really on the Democratic Party that does have power in Washington, D.C. to illustrate that because we don't here in Florida, you know, where Tallahassee and our state politics is controlled by the right. You know, unfortunately, we're not able to make you know, show that distinction and what the Democratic Party really stands for. Um, and so I think we really do need Democrats to stand up and go, go to bat for working families and, you know, show, make a, make a name for themselves, especially at a time like this, where we're in such deep crisis, where so many people are out of work. Um, so many people have been impacted by, you know, their health and um, job loss. This is a time for bold policy solutions. And the question is, is the Democratic Party going to stand in the gap um, and really show some strong leadership here. So I'm curious about how, you know, COVID's going there and the COVID rate because, you know, DeSantis has made some poor decisions in that regard. Do you think messaging around COVID will move some of those voters, some of those Trump voters over to the Democratic side in 2024? Yeah, I absolutely think that um, showing these vaccine disparities is is important because it highlights some of the biggest problems in in our society. Really understanding that, you know, Black and brown people are 40% of the state, but only 13% of those vaccinated. When we you know, expose that DeSantis is doing special vaccine, um, giving special vaccine access to wealthy people in gated communities that, that vote for him, um, and then receiving checks uh, the week after, I, I think that that kind of corruption and that kind of um, favoritism really does anger people. Um, so I think it'll be really important for us to do that that education and make sure people know. Also, with our unemployment system, we have some of the lowest unemployment 
uh, checks in the country. Um, and it takes the longest for you to actually get your, you know, we had people waiting for months and months to try to get their unemployment check because our system was designed to fail. And so, you know, I do think that those, you know, at the end of the day, Governor DeSantis is responsible um, and, and Governor Scott before him and really, you know, demanding some accountability there and, and making sure people understand that that's not the way it is in other parts of the country. Um, we have some of the, you know, wor- we have like the worst unemployment debacle in the nation and, you know, people losing their cars and losing their homes and not being able to put food on the table um, as a result is is a real disgrace. So how do you bring relief to Floridians who vote Democratic? or who want those progressive policies, like the $15 minimum wage, for instance, and while the work is happening on the ground to flip the state blue? Yeah, no, ballot initiatives, I think for us, have been a real pathway to progressive change. In in 2018, we were able to pass um, Amendment 4, making sure that people with felony convictions are able to vote. Um, in 2020, we passed a $15 minimum wage. Um, in 2022, we're looking at things like Medicaid expansion and automatic voter registration. Um, and, and time and time again, you know, while the vast majority of Floridians say, yes, we want that, we want that policy, um, Republicans in Tallahassee try to undermine it, um, making um, people with felony convictions pay a poll tax and pay fines and fees before they can vote. Or now they're trying to undermine minimum wage, saying, you know, if you're under 21 or if you have a disability or you have a felony conviction, you actually should be paid a second class wage. Um, you shouldn't. Ha- you should be paid a training wage and not have access to the uh, minimum wage increase that Floridians voted for. So, you know, uh, we're, we're out here fighting, um, fighting for what we believe in. Um, and, you know, we're clear we need to shift political power to unlock victories on all the issues we care about. Um, and I think, you know, it's important to note that, like, even the fact that Republicans are hanging on by their fingernails or are just barely getting these victories after massive levels of investment, um, I think really says something to the appetite in Florida for change. And I think while 2020 um, didn't have the kind of results that we wanted here in Florida, and there are a lot of factors and reasons for that, I think that there's uh, so many organizations and labor unions and institutions coming together to figure out um, what's it going to take. We, we saw that change in Georgia. We know that it's possible. And I think we all feel like it's, it's right around the corner and we're just laying the foundation and doing the work that's necessary for us to be able to um, get there. So what's the biggest change in your strategy going into the midterms in 2024, you know, given what you've learned about 2020? You know, I think it's it's really doubling down on organizing and doubling down on engagement of engaging uh, black voters, engaging Latino voters, engaging young voters um, early, early and often. Um, so, you know, I think 2020 was a year unlike any other with with COVID and a global pandemic bearing down that really limited our ability to be out there responsibly. And, you know, the Republican Party didn't care about, uh, would, wouldn't shut down their canvases and wouldn't, you know, take COVID seriously and believed it was a hoax. But I think that those are the ingredients, you know, that we, we need in, in 2020. 22 and beyond is just that commitment to really talking um, to our folks um, and whether it's online or on the doors or by phone and really combating the disinformation and the lies that the Republican Party is is spewing 
Um, and I think we do need candidates that are capable of energizing and exciting our base because, um, you know, the new majority coalition is out there. Like if we're able to unite communities of color and progressive white people and young people, we, we're going to be able to take it. And, you know, there's still millions of people out there who are eligible to vote that aren't registered or aren't voting. And that's our work is to go get them and, and make sure that we expand democracy and defend it. Well, Andrea Mercado, thank you so much for joining me. I really enjoyed our conversation and I will be watching Florida, watching Florida very closely because you're right. We need to start right now for 2022, for the midterms and for 2024. We can't wait. So, but thank you so much for all of your work. Thank you for having me. 